When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Sarah Sarkis, and we talk all things managing this pandemic time the adjustments we've made in our lives and how we're coping with all of it. And one of the things that keeps ringing in my mind that she said was we were talking about how during times of difficulty, you learn a lot about yourself and there is a time of growth through the difficulty. And I said something like, well, it doesn't always feel good. And she stopped me in my tracks and said, it never feels good. And I just keep reminding myself that because it really doesn't feel good. I keep wanting to be like, okay, I'm done with my lesson. Let's move on, but um, still learning new things. But I think that that's very true. It doesn't feel good, but it's somehow comforting to know that there is some growth and development within that difficulty. And I want to say thank you to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this podcast. Otherworld Computing has everything you need for your Mac, upgrades, accessories, all the things that you need. So check it out, and thanks for sponsoring the show, and hope you enjoy it. All right. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Sarah. It's my pleasure. I'm so, I'm always so flattered and thrilled to be invited back. Well, what I'm loving, I've done a couple of these sort of focus on COVID-19 reactions, mental health during this time. And I swear, I feel like I'm getting kind of, you know, free therapy myself, like what's going on out there? Because I think it's so, you know, everybody's going through their own experience and hearing stories of other people's experiences. So it's kind of nice to hear what what some themes are that people are kind of seeing. Um, but anyway, outside of it being helpful for just me, I just kind of wanted to hear a little bit about what's what's the experience been like for you? Like, do you, can you sort of walk us through like when what it's you, like in Hawaii? What it's like in Hawaii and even what it's just like for you? Like, when did you know it was more serious than just kind of like, oh, this is annoying? Yeah, that's sort of how yeah, I that's a different. great question. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting. I was traveling a bunch in the beginning of the year. Um, it's hard to believe it's still the beginning of the year. It feels like it's 2023. It's <laughs> you that's know, you're asking me about about plans I had not that long ago. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's like a was life before this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. Um, yeah. So I was traveling a bunch. I was doing some really fun stuff with a bunch of different teams that I'm collaborating with now, and um, and a colleague that I'm doing. Actually, Dr. Barbara Alfred that I, yeah. that you've actually connected with too. That was a great interview. And um, so when I start, well, personally, when I started to really think to myself, wow, we are not going to be spared by this is when um, Wuhan went into quarantine and sort of I was kind of one of those people that is um, shamelessly ignorant uh, about what that meant. And then I read this statistic that it was like it was 11 million people, which is the equivalent of quarantining the entire Midwest of America. And that quote, I was like, oh my God, we are not going to be spared. Like this is going to get to us if it's not already. That was in um, 
I think I read it was a New York Times article. I think it was like early to mid-January. Now, I continued traveling um, up until the last weekend in February. By that point, I knew something was really going to happen. But actually, the weekend that it became really clear to me was I was at a Super Bowl party here, and the CEO, my husband works at Bank of Hawaii, and the CEO of Bank of Hawaii um, his level of preparedness for this and the amount of preparation that he had his teams already doing um, stopped me in my tracks. I was like, wow, this is a CEO of a major bank and a guy who is, I know him personally, he's tactical, he's um, strategic, but he's also very kind of like clear, you know, he's not an alarmist. Um, and when he talked to me during that Super Bowl party, I was like, we got to brace for impact. This is coming. And that was really the weekend that I was like, wow. And then by the time I was traveling to Florida with my colleague, Dr. Barb and Alfred, um, that was a, like when I landed in Florida, I remember calling Mike, my husband, and being like, am I an idiot? Should I be coming home? Um, and he was like, I think you can finish out this weekend, but I think this is it. Yeah. And we had um, a spring break planned to go to Vail and ski two weeks later, starting sort of like March kind of 13th or 14th or 15th, which now seems like a lifetime ago. Um, and it was shortly after coming back from that trip in Florida that we canceled that. And I had touched base with a bunch of scientists that I um, know and collaborate with um, through this other organization that I work with. And um, when they started to say to me, yeah, you should kind of tuck in the corners and kind of get things settled out here. Um, that's when I was like, okay, wow, this is happening. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Like I still remember I was exercising and the person exercising next to me was like, have a really bad feeling. And I was like, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's just this snapshot I have. And even then that wasn't the moment where I realized like this was going to be serious, but that was, I look back at that moment and like, we were all kind of going through that process on our own timeline. Like I was watching it hit her. And I almost think it was more clear to me watching it happen to her. Like I was talking to her and then all of a sudden she was like, I just don't think this is okay. You know, it just, it just, I was the observer and so I could see it. And I think we've all sort of gone through that process. And I'm curious from your point of view, like, what is that? I know I've seen a lot of stuff about, um, about the, the collective grief of this. Like this is, it, it shakes up our safety. But what, from your point of view, like, I think you can come at it from a lot of different angles, but what, what is the brain doing when we get information like this? Like, why do we resist it? And then at what point do we say, okay, what do I do with this? And then there's people who are still resisting it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great question. Um, and I'm going to take it from the psychological perspective, right? So the interior experience, um, I'll sort of talk about it collectively briefly, which is that um, I think also layers of like, you know, you can really see sort of people's um, cultural, political beliefs play in to how you um, snuggle into this reality, right? So those are more sort of uh, collective experiences, right? Um, but from an interior standpoint, actually, it's not uncommon when something is overwhelming for the brain to sort of brace us against it. We can't, we can't fully take it in because it's too overwhelming. And uncertainty and just unimaginable things, and for all of us, um, you know, I've never lived through anything like this before. Um, I've lived through, of course, we've all shared, anybody in our age group has shared um, the shock of 9-11, right? The first time sort of realizing that our land was permeable from other forces, right? But um, a pandemic where it's just it's, there's no us against them. It's we are all vulnerable to this invisible force um, as a, literally as a planet. 
I just have never experienced it. So I experienced similar to you. I went through kind of waves of like, I felt like I would grasp it often when I would just like you were at the gym and you were experiencing it from the person next to you. I was experiencing it from the CEO of Bank of Hawaii in that story I was just sharing. Um, I was grasping it through his grasp of it. Um, and then I would feel myself sort of distance myself from it over the next few days, like, well, maybe, right, magical thinking, well, maybe, you can hear denial in it. Mm -hmm. And the brain and the mind and the body in synchronicity goes through this pattern anytime there's really kind of a collective trauma. And this is a collective trauma mm -hmm. for all of us. It's economic, it's personal, it's impacting our families, our children, our careers, um, our sense of connectedness. So um, I think that what you experienced is probably fairly universal to everybody at some level that's going to tune in and listen to this. And I would imagine for even the people like the guy I'm talking about, his name's Peter Ho at Bank of Hawaii, um, I'll bet you he went through his own process. He just got his arms around it organizationally as the leader, right? And had to kind of move it forward. Um, but it's a protective measure. And, you know, most of us will find our way through it. But even in the early weeks of it, right? Say the first two weeks of in Hawaii being quarantined, um, I still had to consciously remind myself. And the phrase that I would use is, oh, right this is happening. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the back and forth that would go on inside. of. I intellectually knew, but there was a different level of grasping. And some of it is that um, we like certainty. And this is so uncertain because none of us know what the future is going to look like. And I think most of us that might be tuning in here can say that they're kind of clearly in this place. They know there's no going back now. They just don't know what going forward looks like. Right. And that's an uncomfortable place for us psychologically. Yeah. It, it's not our sweet spot. Though, like I, I find myself, I typically like to be a helper. I like to, oh, you're having a hard time? Tell me about it. What's, I'm having my own hard time and I, it's gotten much better. But at first I found myself, I wasn't able to be as supportive of others as I might like to be because I was in my own tailspin. And um, I had mentioned this on another episode, but um, my mom was like, oh, did you check in with so-and-so? And I'm like, why do I always have to be the one to check in on people? And, you know, it just, I think I was going through my own sort of like survival mode of like, my response was like maniacally cleaning the house, like just moving, moving, I moving. may or may not know a thing about that. Oh my gosh. I kind of wish it had stuck because now it's completely gone and I'm like, Chaos. Oh, 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 mess. yeah, totally. But um, now I'm just reading lots of books. But that's, that's also good. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I just wasn't able to be. And so I think a lot of our roles have shifted. Like maybe the people we leaned on for support, well, they're also going through something and how I just, it was, a, it was unsettling ground, I guess, just trying yeah. to, I feel like it's gotten a little more smooth, but then when things start to come out about like Texas is loosening up some of their restrictions. It's a weird feeling, right? It's a very weird feeling. And I, I guess what I'm trying to do is sort of know that we're all going to kind of like, I keep thinking of it as this, like we wound ourselves really tight, like protective wise, we were told to, it's sort of what's going to keep us safe. And we're going to have to, at some point, do some unrolling and what's that going to look like. And, yeah. and I think there can be a lot of judgment in that of like how someone's unrolling, if they're unrolling too fast or um, it's, it's tricky. It's very it is tricky. Yeah, it's really tricky. And it's really interesting in America because we're, we are this one country, but we're also kind of 50 individual cultures, right? So it's a particular type of challenge that isn't unique to the pandemic, but the pandemic is certainly revealing the real underbelly of what it means to be the United States of America. And how do we unite and yet allow each state to also have the flexibility to manage that unraveling, as you're calling it, um, 
and that's a great way to put it, in increments that reflect sort of the individual states. Like, you know, Hawaii, where um, a bunch of days, I, I don't want to misquote, I, I always say that I need a professional fact checker. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're a bunch of days into one case or less with more than a thousand cases of testing a day, right? Those are really good odds. And so our state could unravel um, in a certain way. And that has to kind of reflect, you know, the culture of what we have going on here. So I think you're right. And I think that um, it does pose this kind of unique space for us as a country and it's also going to really um it's going to really give us an opportunity which is really code for it's going to challenge us Mm -hmm. um to find ways to be very tolerant of the different ways that states and counties and areas are going to do this while also trying to have i think some kind of minimum standard Yeah, and it is weird at an individual level. I've never faced a time where the thought of being allowed to connect with humans again face-to-face feels weird to me. I'm excited for it, and I want it, and I know that it's a necessary next step, but I had just gotten used to this feeling of being like, okay, I'm safe and cocooned. Mm -hmm. So the loosening of that... um, it requires an internal flexibility. For people who struggled with sort of... Um, Contamination fears to begin with. Yes, and yeah. worry about safety for themselves, for their children. Um, what, what are you seeing with that? What is your, what is your thought process on that? Because I think there's a lot of, even especially for people who recognize that is their struggle, right? I mean, they know that this is going to be a problem for them to sort of loosen up. Um, yeah. What do you what do you think is best best case treatment? best case scenario for them or best course of action? Yeah, yeah I mean self talk kind of method. Yeah, so I I really first of all I kind of I, I empathize with that. I've done a lot of work over the years. Having a child for me really brought that up. It was my husband who, when my kid was like nine months old, he's like, "You need to get your arms around this, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, so I really it's a control thing, and so um, I had to kind of really look under the hood on my issues with control um, and likewise surrender, right? Because those are partners in crime. Um, and uh, so I, ca- I can deeply empathize with people for whom they exercise a measure of control through sort of these fears about, it's really con- fears of contamination and viruses always do this. Um, illness does this as a loose correlation with hypochondriasis. Um, it's always um, an issue about vulnerability, feeling vulnerable to forces that you can't control. So what I suggest, first of all, the fact that if you're already at the place where you know this is going to be an issue for you, you're going to sort of tango in this realm, um, you're halfway there. Because the awareness is really the agent of change. Um, and then there is, you know, I would definitely do a mindfulness practice. I'd try to get sort of self-regulation around that. And then tiny exposure. So we build the psychological muscle of change in the same way that we do physical. So it's time under tension. So be really gentle with yourself if you're in this camp and you have that self-awareness that you're in this camp. Know that while on the surface, it looks like it's behavioral, right? Exposing yourself to um, the outside world, right? You're no longer safely cocooned. You can't totally control your environment. It looks behavioral. You're actually at deeper internal intersections around vulnerability, permeability, control, obviously surrender. You can't talk about control without also touching on surrender. So you're in, you're in the arena with the big dogs and um, be super gentle, be really compassionate, break it down into bite-sized pieces. So don't plan a play date with your closest friends out in public, right? First, you know, do a small thing of you're going to meet up with one family remain outside, have your masks, 
stay six feet apart. You know, do it at its do it at its most benign, and then keep doing it. And each increment, maybe every kind of I don't even know the increment to say because maybe it's as your own local government loosens more and more things, right? Um, but at increments, increase your circle of risk. Increase it, you know, and then just keep exposing yourself. And odds are most of us are going to find our way back or forward. Um, we're going to find our way forward to a new normal that feels okay. And also, here's the other key. Don't try not to mistake that fear means don't do it. Fear and risk are a guide and a compass. They're actually a steer. And I often find if you're somebody who has ever struggled with avoidance as your technique of management, of psychological management, that there's a slight kink in that relationship with fear. And there's an unconscious belief that if you feel afraid of it, that's a message to not do it. It's actually not. And um, so stay really mindful of that. And then also always, if somebody feels like it's sort of past what they can do, everybody now in our sort of service helping industry has like uh, telemed. And so contact somebody and they can help you kind of work through both the deeper layers that I'm talking about and also the behavioral layer, the exposure component. And oftentimes you're going to get pretty good results pretty quickly with these kinds of exposure-based protocols. Um, and I would say even if you're not struggling, because as you're talking, I don't, I don't consider myself someone who has a general fear of that, but all of this has brought that on for me. And I, How so could I, it not, I, right? Yeah. So I think it's probably going to be more common than not where you're going to have to kind of push yourself to do things that you aren't comfortable with. And then you'll continue, I mean, going to the grocery store for the first time with a mask and all your, I, I mean, it's bizarre. And I've only done it a couple of times, but, and each time it's gotten easier. It gets easier. It is amazing when you realize how quickly we adapt. Mm -hmm. Adaptation, first of all, adaptation always involves friction. We like to think it feels good. It doesn't. It's after we've adapted that it feels good. Adaptation, evolution, change is always predicated at a neurobiological level with friction. Always. It is always painful. I see this in my profession. Nobody comes to me because they feel good. Nobody has ever called me up and said, I just wanted to chat about like how I am like nailing it. <laughs> Never. Everybody comes to me with some, it could be chronic pain, could be death, could be illness, could be psychological pain, but the portal in is pain. And then the pain becomes the adaptive entry point. And our adaptation to this is no different. And it is amazing how quickly walking around with masks, which is something that felt completely foreign to us as a country right. just five weeks ago. And now it's like, you got your mask, you got your system, you got the whole thing going, right? We are incredibly adaptive and it happens in small increments. And it happens by being able to tolerate that that internal friction. Mm -hmm. So um, you're 100% right that it, this experience has put all of us into a place of observing that space. And obviously, if you are somebody who is struggling previously with more sort of clinically avoidant patterns, um, this will reveal its own struggle and I would say purpose for you. Um, oh, a really good quote. Um posted somewhere just and I cannot repeat it exactly but something to the effect of that it's not necessarily that these circumstances are bringing out people's true colors it's bringing out like your adaptive like yeah. things maybe even from childhood that that oh, this things for manage. sure from childhood yes like that you yeah. may, this is how you manage and it's all kind of getting thrown out on the table and how someone else is managing might be so different from how I'm managing but if you can look at it through that lens as like they are managing as best they can. A hundred percent. Completely 
not what you're doing. It, it just, it helps to, I, I had a lot of judgment when all of this first started going about people sure. doing things the way I thought that they should be. And that was exhausting. And I've kind of worked through some of that, some of it. Um, but it helps to sort of think of it that way, that, that everyone's coping in the way that they best know how. And, um, and we're going to learn a lot, even if we did not ask for it. Like, we're going to grow, we're going to learn, we're going to adapt, even though yeah. it's not fun and it's not pleasant. Yeah, I mean, what you just said, everybody should actually rewind and listen to your segment right there again and again. I think you just found your sound bite for, okay. um, for how to market this uh, talk. So you're 100% right. Um, first of all, you're highlighting a really important piece between um, self-awareness and compassion realizing that everybody is fighting a battle for which you cannot see. You can't see it. And part of the battle that we're all in right now, collectively, is that this has stripped us of all our defense mechanisms. If your defense mechanism was that you kept yourself busy, if your defense mechanism was that you were um, a social butterfly, if your defense mechanism was shopping, if whatever it, what sex, um, going out and drinking, all the ways in which we keep ourselves distant from the, the deeply held, usually unconscious, neurobiological patterns that actually govern 95% of our behavior. Only 5% is conscious, right? And um, all of that was stripped from us. And we are left very raw, very raw. And you're right that as a shrink, it's like I feel like I am part of a universal social experiment of which I am part of, right? Like I'm observing it and I am a subject mm -hmm. in this social experiment. Um, but yeah, that self-compassion, that compassion really comes from, first of all, having compassion for ourselves. I am doing the best I can. And then granting that to the people that we observe who are doing it differently than us, even when it's really hard or really unpalatable. Yes. Well, and what I've, I've noticed is if I can label it for myself as like, they are triggering me in some way and helping myself peel back. Okay. Well, what is that about? Because usually it's like, I get jacked up by whatever somebody's doing and then, and I don't like being jacked up. So then I'm mad at them about it when really, what is it, what is going on there for me that is getting me so riled? Exactly. Um, and that's really what therapy, right? So long before the pandemic, I, when I would work individually, I would get to say to people, you know, we're looking at so-and-so, let's say it's a spouse, let's make it easy. Uh, we're going to look at this intersection with your spouse who isn't sitting here merely as a reflection about what this is revealing to us about you. And the more that we practice that art, that is an art and a practice, um, you're right, the more we are able to get to a place where um, everybody is fighting a battle of which we cannot possibly know or understand because we got our own shit going on. Right. Yeah, we see glimpses of this battle on social media which then can make us even more crazy. I mean, that's the, that I noticed the other day I was in a funk and I was on my phone and looking at things just way too much. Not necessarily even people in my own circle, just all the things happening in the world. I was like making sure I read everything about it. And it's just so overwhelming sometimes just how much. And I think because of the circumstances we're in, we have to be extra gentle with ourselves about how much we're allowing to come in. My husband's yeah. like, just please put away your phone. Just please put it away. Yeah, he's like, step away digging. from the phone. Hands yeah. up. <laughs> Hands over your head. It's a self -er You're doing a citizen's arrest. Yeah. Um, you're 100% right. And in the early days of this, and I would, I would continue to say in the, in the game of self-reflection, right, this is really a battle between your own ears, um, that in the game of self-reflection, if you're still in um, – or if you find yourself in a place where you're uh, still 
overwhelmed in that way. In the, I really limited myself, even now. Um, I really only watch about 15 minutes of news a day. And that's it. Yeah. And 15 minutes of participating in anything that is, um, you know, not kind of right now like right now what I need to do or like family or something, you know, kind of wholesome. And 15 minutes is, it, it's a, it's a discipline mm-hmm. because it requires doing that sort of like, okay, enough, enough, enough. And I try to get most of my information I'm trying now um, to go directly to scientific sources. And we have no shortage of those people now because of, social media, right? They're all posting directly. And I try to really kind of stay away from anything that gets into commentary. It just doesn't bring me to a place that I feel any better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So 15 minutes a day, if you try that for three or four days and kind of assess each day as you get a little further and further away from the overload of information, you know, our feelings are the only mode that our mind and our body and our brain have to communicate with us. So we don't want to silence them. We want to listen to them. And if it's communicating with you, you feel agitated, uncomfortable, overwhelmed, anxious, worried. These are communications that you've taken in too much. So just like a child, when they're that way, you try to contain the environment, right? Same thing. We're just big children, right? And right. I think we, that's my resistance is that I thought I was above all of that. Like I know that. Like I've you had outgrown it. Uh, I'm a grown up. I that doesn't happen to me. And here I am pouting around. I'm just sort of like Eeyore walking around. And my husband's like, put it away. Put yeah. it. And I because I'm relaying everything I've seen. And it's just it's one of those things. Like we're we're all we're all in this together. We're all susceptible to the same things. But yeah, and down deep, we're all just human. Right. You know, you may be on a different developmental trajectory, chronological age trajectory. We're all triggered by different things. We all have our own unique neurobiological patterns, but we are all human. Um, and so, you know, we, we follow some tried and true processes that give us a fighting chance to feel better. Even then, you're still going to maybe, on days, you're just going to feel like shit. Uh, We're going through a huge moment in history. And this is what history feels like. We like to take it as like, you know, the victory speeches and the triumphant things that we all, you know, the memes and the quotes we all use sort of from past historical events where It all feels very promising, but I assure you when they were going through it, it was torture, just like it is for us. Um, And this is what it feels like to be in a collective historical moment. Take it back. (laughs) Take it back. Do you still feel like you would take it back? No, I really wouldn't. I was, you know, a a part of my funk the other day, what I'm realizing is that I think I won't, I don't want to take it all back. I don't, I think we were just over, over rushed, over programmed, got too many things running around. But I do think, I think that for me, at least there was this um, like busy reaction and now it's sort of settled. And now I kind of am like, okay, I know it's not going to be this forever. And it's kind of like, well, what's the new? And I just kind of want to know, like, I think it's more almost impatience, I guess, like, just like, okay, let's get to what the new thing is because- Um, And you can hear that natural psychological reaction to uncertainty, right? And, And we all feel like, you know, sitting here with you right now, I can tell you that, um, I totally like deep in the marrow of my being relate to what you're saying, right? As a shrink, I can sort of zoom out, right? It's my own form of intellectualization and talk about this psychology of uncertainty, right? Um, And the truth is we don't know. And our leaders don't know, not separate from whether or not I have any beliefs that our leaders are where they fall on the scale of adequate to inadequate. That's separate. They don't know because they're humans. And as far as we can tell, none of them 
are able to actually read the future. Right. And so just as humans, we aren't great at that, right? So I think that what you're really highlighting for the audience is this relationship with uncertainty. And it really does go back to kind of, we, we have to allow ourselves like a, an internal thing. I will say to myself, right? Like inside my own head, I'll be like, Oh, that's, this is, this is what you do when you can't predict the future. I try to actually tell myself like, Oh, this is what you do, Sarah. For me, it's worry. Um, this is what you do when you feel really uncertain. So I just try to acknowledge that, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I see why I'm getting into that place that I go to, right? Which right. looks distinct from your place. Um, and we just don't know, right? I said at the, the opening of the hour that I now have this pretty clear sense that uh, there is no going back. We're going to have to move forward. I even corrected myself kind of midway through. I said, um, you know, when we return. And then I said, when we go forward. Mm -hmm. Because it's not ever going to go back that we can't go back. Um, Not just, like, I mean, existentially, there's no going back. Um, This will change us and shape us in ways that will be both beautiful and brash. And... um, it, it, I, I, I just totally get the desire to know an outcome. I am like guilty as charged. Uh, but, you know, that's sort of where we all have to wrestle at an individual level is that um, we just don't know. We just do not. All we really can control is our individual reaction to the uncertainty. You know, when I start thinking, well, are, is there going to be summer camp? Are we going to be able to visit my parents? Are we? Oh, gonna summer be- camp is come and gone in Hawaii. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I mean, I'm thinking about I'm speaking to you off air beforehand. I'm actually relocating back to my town of origin in Massachusetts um, in July. And we got our son into a fabulous school that we're super excited about. And, you know, where I get myself into that spin zone is like, is there going to be school in the fall? And like trying to control these unknowables. Um, I love Sam Harris's approach to uncertainty. You know, he is so logical. He is provocative. Um, So what I love is he goes like this. And I've been doing this on loop because I'm a blue ribbon winner of worry. That's sort of my down, you know, that's my, that's the underbelly of my capacity to be super on top of things is that when that coin flips over, I can be a complete worry wart. So he goes like this. It's really simple. Can I do something about it? If so, do it. If not, you are literally wasting your energy. And I mean, not energy in the like new age way. I mean, literally inside of our body, energy, cellular motivation based, if we're talking about energy from a psychological standpoint, right? You are literally spinning your wheels. So then there's nothing you can do. So even worry isn't going to do anything about it. And when I try to make it that simple, to me, it's effective, I'm like, okay, can I do anything about this? Like, can I actually influence whether or not my son's school opens up in the fall? <laughs> Get your signs ready, but I don't know if that would be the way you would want to introduce yourself to your new community. Like, I feel like it might be polarizing. Are you the lady with the signs? <laughs> right. Oh, you were that woman. It's like, well, it wasn't my best moment. Totally. Yeah. So can I do anything about it? And if not, Okay, see, see answer one. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, so, you know, I would, I, I, I think that's been effective for me if people find that, if they find that sort of effective in their own space. Um, just bringing it back to those mindful activities, even just, I mean, I've been trying to do more like, and now I am washes, washing the dishes and now I am taking out the trash. And yes, it's like kind of just pulling myself back physically to be in the space that I'm in. This it's is a grounding. Yes. And, and pulling yourself back in is a great way to see it. It's almost like 
you're starting to fray and you're trying to actually get yourself centered again. And actually, John Kabat-Zinn, who I love, he's sort of my mindfulness um, crush. Um, John Kabat-Zinn, in his book, Full Catastrophe Living, has this um, fantastic opener when he talks about being a new dad. Um, This is, you know, decades ago. And um, being up at night, you know, he's a young professor and doctor and exhausted and, you know, where we've all been if we've had children, right? Um, And that he used to have to remind himself very much like you were, now I am just here for this feeding. Now I am changing his or her diaper. It's actually a brilliant technique that sounds simple, but at a neuro neurologic level, it's actually incredibly useful, right? And and when you said, um, I, I'm day by day, I almost chimed in and said, honestly, sometimes increment by increment, right? Mm-hmm. Like before we got on this call, I, in my head, I'm like, okay, right now, all that matters is connecting. That's it. It's just this phone call, connecting and talking. Mm-hmm. Because if I got too far ahead, I'd be less present here. Mm -hmm. And so what you're really talking about, that strategy is so genius because you're just saying, okay, all I have to be present in is taking the trash out. That's it. And when we break it down to that increment, you know, lo and behold, it's fairly doable. Interesting to me that it's as helpful as it is. You know what I mean? Because it's like the stuff I've heard and and I've had to use it in the past, but I don't always Never like this. Never like this, and I don't always have to, you know, but sometimes, desperate times, you know. Yeah, that's why I, when I described Sam Harris, I really made a point of saying he is so logical, he is provocative. Mm-hmm. It's almost provocative. It's so simple, right? Yeah. Especially when you feel comfort in that worrying. Like, if that's where you're you kind of like, it, it's almost easier for me to be like, trying to analyze why people are doing the things they're doing and why this and why that and what what could I do like it just there's a comfort there because that's sort of what I'm used to but it's not that helpful for me or anyone else so yeah I may I may even you're a hundred percent right I'm so glad you brought this up one word I might shift is is it comfortable or is it familiar And so when we shift that, right, um, I also try, I know a minute ago, I actually broke my own rule and I was going to fix my own rule, but I was like, Sarah, move on. I try not to use the word control, but influence because control is sort of white knuckled and influence is more of a collaboration, right? Inside of ourselves, we can influence our response to uncertainty. Same with um, comfort. Is it comfortable? Because I'm uncomfortable when I'm worrying. And by the way, then everybody around me is uncomfortable because I'm a miserable MFer, right? So, but it is familiar. It's like an old pair of running shoes that you know are slowly destroying your knees, but good Lord, do they feel familiar, right? And um, just observe that for anybody listening that can jive with what we're saying. And I think it's probably a lot of people. We, like, I know for me, what's become really clear to me over the last 10 years really specifically is that I am not special or unique. I am completely ordinary. And actually there is such comfort and knowing of like, once I really am like, wow, okay. Like you are more human than otherwise. And everybody around you is also the same way. Um, Yeah, look, am I special in the way that like, you know, our kids are special and all that, but down deep, we all are pretty much the same. And um, so I assume that people are going to listen to this and they're really going to realize like, oh, wow, I am actually, see, most of the time, the only, what I find therapeutically is a lot of times people's specialness comes in, not as I'm so great, I'm so special. It's I'm so fucked up, I'm so special. Nobody else is as fucked up as me. Sorry for my bad language, but I'm from Boston. So, you know, what can you do? You can take her out of Boston, but you can't take the Boston out of her. Um, 
you know, and this, this specialness thing makes us feel really isolated. We actually feel separated from our peers. You see this all the time in adolescence, right? Their life is uniquely, you know, fill in the blank. You are uniquely a bad parent to them. It's not that every other kid has a parent who's equally as irritating and annoying, right? It's, it's, it's me. Um, so I think that the more that we realize that we are literally all more similar than not, um, that there is just comfort in that realization. There is just a comfort in knowing like, oh, wow. Like that's why the hashtag, we're all in this together. That's why it worked. That's why it is a successful hashtag right now because people want to feel connected, right? We, we are oxytocin creatures. Um, we can't survive without oxytocin actually, right? And, and an infant needs the mother and the father or the father and the father or the mother and the mother or whatever version is the, the parental unit. Um, and it can be, all it has to be is one person. It could just be a father, just be a mother, but we need the oxytocin to serve the connection, the sense that you belong here. We are in this together. You are safe. What I'm noticing is like, so we have always in the past had that opportunity to connect with people outside of our own home. So we are doing that in our own homes, hopefully, some places, maybe not, but that's another thing that's been sort of toppled down is our ability to connect and get that those those feelings of safety from other people that don't live in your home. Um, and yeah. Zoom's been great. I mean, it's been a great way to connect with people, but it doesn't feel the same as being there. Yeah, it's uh, a distant runner-up, right? Yeah. Um, you're you're totally right. You know. And also, simultaneously, the very connection with people is the route through which this virus transfers and replicates over a society. So it has sort of this underbelly that's also existential, like the very thing we need is the, the portal through which the virus takes hold. Right. Um, and I, I really, I just, I empathize, right? I, I get it. And I really empathize with... Um, both the need for it and the awareness that we can't do it in the same way right now. And you're right, Zoom is great and connecting on the phone is great. And people are, you know, reuniting and connecting in ways. And, you know, that's the part when I said there'll be changes that are sort of both beautiful and brash, right? Um, it is beautiful in that way, but it's different. That's one of the ways maybe we move forward is just when you are with someone, be there. You know, don't be looking at your phone. Don't, I mean, life will happen, but just I'm hopeful that maybe that's something that I can kind of carry forward is really being more aware of the gift that being with other people is. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I, I also, like you, really hope I, I'm rooting for myself that mm -hmm. I can um, really maintain some of the deeper layers of self-awareness that I've found through this period of time. Um, and that I can carry that forward into my future self of which I don't know who she is or, right. you know, I don't know how the move will change me. I don't know how this pandemic in conjunction with my big move coming up will change me. Um, but I know it will change me. Right. So, um, I root for me. I, I am, I am my own, I'm the president of my own fan club. I root for me to be able to do that. Yeah, and I love that imagery. Like, I mean, I, I think that's a cool thing to, to tell other people, to, like root for yourself in whatever you're going through, like that you will take the things that you are learning and move that forward in a beautiful way, you know, and, and it's not always going to feel good as it happens. You know, it won't feel good. Won't no, no. Feel not yeah. only won't it always, it will always feel growth, change, evolution um, is it is designed, uh, I don't want to make it too intellectual, but adaptation is designed to be difficult. If anybody out there listening is a science geek, Andrew Huberman, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, out of Stanford University, and also this organization that I work with, the Flow Research Collective, headed by Stephen Kotler, K-O-T-L-E-R, 
have some great stuff on what is really happening neurobiologically and neurochemically during adaptation. It will always feel painful. Yeah, it just will. And if we're waiting for growth and evolution to feel good, we're always going to think we're doing it wrong. I think that, I mean, that is everything right there. Like that gives me chills because I think that sometimes you start to feel like, oh, I'm just doing it wrong. This is See not- the specialness coming in. It's me. Yeah. I am uniquely limited in this learning process mm-hmm. because it should feel good. No. Even it's though a- I know intellectually, like it, Good things come out of difficulty. Like I know that, but it, there's I like that. I like that point of it. It's gonna be uncomfortable. That's what growth feels like. Yeah, it's designed that way. Yes. Yeah, right. you are exactly like I'm. I say to patients all the time when they're sort of telling me something, and I even before the pandemic, but it seems really relevant right now. I say, you know, it sounds to me like you are right on time. You are exactly where your world, interior and exterior, have you being. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not late. You're not behind the eight ball. You're not a slow learner, right? It's You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I love that. What, is there anything else that you were hoping we would talk about that I missed here? No, as always, I told you this before we got on the call, you have such a great way of, um, taking conversations, you know, just sort of intuitively going. So every interaction I've ever had with you, I'm like, we tucked in all the corners. I love it. I know. And some people make it very easy like yourself. So thank you. Thank you. I have one last question. So this is, I I had, before all of this, I was always asking people about their self-care and what do they do to sort of make sure. So is there something during this experience that you have found is just something you need to have happen every day to keep feeling Sane-ish. Uh Yeah, exactly. I like adding ish to most things. Like I'll be like, I'm healthy-ish. Yes. I, I'm typical-ish. Um, so I love it. Yeah, there is. If I can even say more than one thing. And I'll sort of list it quickly. And also if people, you know, we don't want to burden them with anything. But I'm also happy to like provide just like little notes on this if people want it. Like a show notes if people wanted to take away. Um, okay. So for me, um, I have been also from the research out of, uh, Andrew, Dr. Huberman's lab out of Stanford university. Um, it's all about the optic nerve. I'm not going to bore people with this sunrise and sunset light. So every day of quarantine or since I came home from Florida, so even before we were quarantined, but from the moment where I knew like, okay, this is happening. Um, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. It doesn't have to be direct sunlight. Obviously, don't look at the sun. It it can even be through a window. I'm pointing over here because I go out onto a lanai at my condo. Um, And I sometimes I just lay there. But sometimes I'll go out and sort of stretch or I'll listen to fun music. Bring my kid out there a bunch to do it. Um, 10 minutes. It involves a whole series of cascading things with your circadian rhythms. You're going to notice your sleep, but it also has a huge component with mood and specifically anxiety. So easy. It's renewable and it's free. So easy, easy, easy. You can sit and read a book. It's just the light's got to be coming through your eyelids. Um, And it's uh, complimentary. So the morning rays are important to be paired with the evening rays. Um, So, you know, five to 10 minutes each time. And then really, if if the pandemic has shown us anything, it has shown us that um, investing in the broader concept of self-care, sort of lifestyle stuff. So sleep, movement, mindfulness, nutrition. And I'm trying kind of to, you know, some days it's a jump ball, sort of 50-50. Be gentle with yourself. Observe if you get into like a perfectionist mode. It has to be every day. Perfectionism is just shameism. It's about self-worth. It's really a vice grip that we could have a whole talk on. Um, Just observe that. But, you know, more days than not, try to dial in those four things. 
Um, and then I do some specific things like heat therapy is really helpful for me, especially when I'm in that worry cycle of which I am, you know, really so accomplished. It's my greatest accomplishment. I am a chronic warrior. Um, so um, I, I find heat therapy, things like that, kind of really back to the fundamental basics. Yeah. I love that. And I think that yeah. it's a good time to notice the things that are really helpful and like just because I think, again, we get so busy. Well, oh, yeah, I'll do that when I have time. But now's the time to use those things that you kind of know are the things that work for you. And uh, it's a perfect opportunity if you haven't been using them to learn. Yeah. You yeah. can be a novice. I started we, meditating. I, I would wake up and I never, I mean, I had here and there listening to apps, you know, when I heard it and remembered I would, but I had been waking up with that anxiety of sort of like what you had talked about, about like, oh wait, is this real? Oh God, we have to, okay. You know, just almost like reminding myself of like what's going on. And I found just doing like five minutes, 10 minutes of just sitting, breathing, just kind of helped start my whole day in a better way. Um, yep. And neurobiologically, if we chunk or we call it, um, we call it stacking is sort of a more kind of layman's term, but it's chunking from a neurobiological. So anybody listening, remember 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night of sunlight, or let's make it even easier, five and five. If you just do that and sit for five minutes and do some form of either breathe regularly, but just be aware, uh, do a body scan. I love box breathing because I can't actually do two things at once. So if I'm focusing on the inhale, the hold, the exhale, the hold, the inhale, right, that's the box. Um, and anybody that's interested, again, and we can do, I think we should just do a show notes. I'll do it um, at the end. I'll send you like a paragraph of just the things we talked about, right? Um, so um, if you pair it, then it doesn't take more time during the day. So you're already sitting outside or you're sitting near a window. And now you're stacking or chunking together the tasks. And so you're really quite literally killing two birds with one stone. And um, so, you know, you don't have to make time for all of these things individually. If you have to get your sunlight while doing movement, do a 10 minutes of sun salutations. Sit outside and stretch, foam roll. You're adding these things together so that you're eliminating the unconscious excuses we come up with for not doing the things that actually help us. And I'm like also highly accomplished at those excuses. So um, I really, I, I pretty much speak from being primarily a client inside my own head. Um, but the more you make it, you eliminate the reasons. Oh, I can't do, you want me to do, you want me to get sunlight therapy. You want me to move. You want me to breathe and you want me to meditate. That's too much. Just do it all together. Can I ask for those that are in places where sunlight is not as um, well served as Hawaii and Austin? Yeah, so sunlight doesn't mean sunshine. It's okay. not equated with heat. Okay. As far as we know, other than parts of the year in Alaska, and we really see the effects there with um, seasonal affective disorder um, and maybe some other parts, you know. Um, but in America, the sun rises every day um, in most of the states, right? There are, there are a few exceptions, of course, in the Northeast in the winter. Of course, you have a diminished, right? And, um, but really what we're seeing is that you just need exposure to sun, not heat, you know, not the, the sun doesn't have to be warm. It's just got to rise. Yeah. Um, and what we have going for us is that the sun is continuing to rise every day. The pandemic is impacting us, but the sun is rising and setting every single day. So uh, it's a great question and one that uh, bears clarification. Thank you so much. You're always so fun to talk to. You're the best. I'm so glad. I say this every time. I am so glad that our our lives in the in our 40s have brought this group of women that I'm connecting with from Georgetown you know we're back in orbit um, yeah. in this way that you know who would if you know if you had said to me at the tombs by the way in 20 years you and I are going to connect on a podcast I would have been like what the 
fuck is she talking about? <laughs> right? We'll so for our computers. Yes. Yeah, I'll exactly. I'll see exactly. you actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's just awesome. And I really appreciate the opportunity to always come on and yak it up. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you'd like to join the Family Brain community, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and online, Family Brain Podcast. And if you would do so and leave a rating or a review, that would be great. It helps other people find the podcast and helps share the message. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.